let the discussion flow from there. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty casual here. I, I, I'm sorry I'm overdressed. I, I wish I had jeans and sneakers, but I'm um, coming from a um, um, church meeting classes. So, yeah, forgive me for that. Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. So, um, we don't have to spend three hours discussing this. We can. I have a couple of things I want to say. You guys are going to help me. We're going to discuss this. We're going to chew on this for a little bit. All right. So, um, and then we'll, we'll see where we go. And then we can play some ping pong and uh, keep eating pizza. All right. But uh, let me open us in a word of prayer. And then I'm going to read Psalm 120. And then let's focus in on uh, verse 7. All right. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, you alone are good and gracious and great. And we confess your holy name this evening. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ our great Savior, the High King of Heaven, who rules all things with such power and wisdom, uh, Father, that no man can ever match it, uh, Father, and that is because Jesus is no mere man. He is certainly our incarnate Savior, but He is your eternal Son, and He is God of very God, and that is why, Father, you are pleased to uh, invite and command all of the world to worship your Son, uh, Father, and we do worship him. We confess his name uh, this evening. We thank you for all here, blood-bought uh, sons of God uh, through Jesus Christ, through his blood and sacrifice and righteousness. And Father, as we uh, consider your word this evening, as we devote the next few minutes to um, this psalm, very important psalm, of course, all of your word is important and life and uh, profitable for training and for correction and reproof, uh, Father, but especially this word that is a word for us in our season, in this generation, in our cultural moment. Lord, we pray that you would grant us wisdom, grant us courage, grant us uh, a love for your truth, uh, Father, an adherence, uh, a zealous adherence for your righteousness and for your kingdom. And Father, grant us to love you uh, and to love how you created the world and to absolutely despise uh, our sin and the ways in which uh, sin corrupts this world, your world and your creation. Father, forgive us our sins. Uh, Father, lead us uh, to repentance. Lead us to live for you with confidence, with joy, with certainty, with courage. Uh, Father, lead us in our lives, in, uh, Father, our families, in our marriages with our wives, if we're married, uh, if we have children. Father, to uh, be such a public witness of Christ that you would be pleased to use us to bring others to Christ, that they would see us, that say, they would see Christ in us and taste and see for themselves that you are good. Father, we pray that you would further your kingdom, establish your church, and defeat Satan, and crush all opposition to Christ's kingship. Lord, we pray these things now in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at Psalm 120 with you, brother. So I don't know if you have your Bibles in your, uh, in your telephones. That's okay. We know how it is. Um, we don't have Psalm 120 memorized. All right, so if you have uh, a copy of God's Word, um, maybe you could help me by reading 
uh, Psalm 120. And um, this is the first of many psalms that are collected in the collection entitled The Songs of Ascents. Uh, because <clears throat> these were the psalms that uh, pilgrims would sing as they ascended Jerusalem. No matter where you lived in Israel, it was always said that you would go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was on Mount Moriah. It was on a hill. It was on an elevated, elevated plain. So you would ascend. And as the Jewish pilgrims, three times a year, uh, for um, the, three, the three ordained festivals that Yahweh had established in the Old Testament. They would come to Jerusalem, to the temple of God, to worship God. They would ascend Jerusalem and sing these psalms. And so this is the first of the songs uh, of ascent that they would sing. All right, so let me read verse one, and then we could just take turns uh, going through the seven verses here, right? And we can take turns reading. So what you notice here... Um, right away is that uh, things are not well for this psalmist. Things are not well for the psalmist, and as a result, things are not well for God's people, right? If you think of psalms not in an individualistic uh, way, you think of psalms as what God's people sing, right? So it's not just an individual saying this, it's God's people saying this through the person of the psalmist, right, as the, the leader of the choir of Israel. So things are not well for Israel, and let, let's, let's walk, walk through the psalm here a little bit before we land and park on verse 7. Uh, he's in distress, verse 1. Uh, he's asking for salvation. Deliver me, O Lord. Now, we oftentimes think of, and I said this probably, you, you might not remember this if you were at Grace, but this, the Sunday before the election in 2020, um, I preached on Psalm 80. And in that psalm, I made a, a reference to the fact that Salvation has to be defined in Scripture because of our modern conception. We oftentimes think of salvation as forgiveness of sins, right? Uh, God saves sinners. God forgives sinners. God regenerates sinners, right? There's an internal transformation that's wrought uh, and can only be wrought by the power of the Spirit of God. That's not the only way salvation is used in the Bible, all right? Salvation in the Bible is also deliverance. It means that you're being oppressed, you're being persecuted, you're in trouble. You don't need your sins forgiven. <laughs> that already happens. You need to be saved by God, just like Israel needed to be saved um, by God from Egypt. All right? They were already God's people. That's why he's going to save them and deliver them in the first place. So deliverance is needed uh, from God. Um, and deliverance specifically from who and from what? From lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Can I tell you that this in the book of Psalms is one of the most common foes that we face as God's people? Lies and liars, right? And, and you know, let's be specific, not just lies, right? Liars, specifically liars. Uh, those in power who deceive, those who, through the use of lies, seek to enact violence against God's people. Right? Lies don't exist out there kind of floating. All right? Lies are spoken by liars that use lies to oppress God's people, to mute the voice of God, and to shut out truth from the public square. And all of that, as a result, means that the psalmist is in danger. 
And all of that as a result means that God's cause in this world is in danger. All right. So he says, deliver me from lying lips. And so he speaks to these lying lips and says, what shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And this is an interesting way of describing the enemies of God. And you might say, well, I thought God has no enemies. No, we'll get to that in a minute. God has plenty of enemies. All right. And part of what salvation is that he made us who were his enemies, his children. All right. Um, this is an interesting way of describing God's enemies because it, it's, a, it's a reduction of who they are, right, on purpose. It doesn't matter what else is true of this person. They are, in effect, one gigantic deceitful tongue, right? It's, you know, we have this expression in, in the United States in English, right, where we talk about someone who's really smart. We might say, oh, man, that guy is such a brain, right? That guy is such a brain. And what that means is that no matter what may be true of them, they are super smart, so we can almost reduce their entire life, their entire body, to basically a walking brain, right? And that's what's happening here. No matter what else is true of God's enemies, they are characterized. They are, the, the epitome of them is that they are given completely over to deception and to using their tongue to lie, all right? So what shall be given to them? What reward, what consequence will, will come upon them? Well, verse 4, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. No good thing will happen and will come upon liars. They will be punished. They will be um, sentenced to a death, all right? A warrior's sharp arrows and glowing coals of the broom tree. Uh, and then not only does he cast judgment um, upon God's enemies, he, he almost casts judgment upon himself, and not, not really judgment, but more of a woe, more of a lament here, right? What does the psalmist say, and what do we say here, who live in 21st century uh, America? Woe to me that I sojourn, I live, I, I, my pilgrimage, I've set up my tent in this place called Meshech, uh, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Verse 6, he says, too long, right? Why am I lamenting? You know, <laughs> we're just, what, what are we talking about this? Jersey, I was talking with someone earlier at the church meeting, classes meeting about living in Jersey. And, uh, you know, they're lifelong Jersey native. And they were lamenting the fact that Jersey is the way it is, right? And if you tell someone... You probably didn't tell anyone you were from Jersey. You didn't want to get laughed at in Florida, right? <laughs> like, hey, you know, no one is proud of being from Jersey, right? You're like, uh, you know, I'm, where are you from? Uh, Jersey, you know. Um, and it's, it's very similar here, right? Um, why? We're in Jersey, so what, what is to be made of us? Oh, woe are we who live in Jersey, who live in a place uh, too long have, had, have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I live in Jersey in a place that has no respect for law, has, not, has no respect for truth, has no respect for righteousness, has no respect for God's design on this world. Oh, woe is me uh, who live in Jersey, right? We don't live in other parts of the country that seem more attractive, that have more liberty, where, you know, churches are well-established, where Christians seem more mature, where there's a, 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 you know, not, lies are not as prevalent, and so on and so forth. So uh, we can lament our situation 
uh, without um, devolving into a pity party. Uh, we can say, woe is me, <laughs> who live in Jersey. Uh, this is not uh, Zion. This is not the New Jerusalem. You can say that from God's word without um, uh, devolving into a pity party. All right. And then what does he say? Verse 7, he says, um, part of the issue is that not only do I dwell among those who are liars, I dwell among those... Hey, Jeff. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, and there's pizza. There's we're, we're keeping it casual here, Jeff. So, all right. Um, um, not only do I dwell among those who are liars and are given to lies, here's the, here's the issue, right? The issue is not that these lies are spoken in private. <clears throat> the issue is not that lies are spoken, you know, among liars and no more. The issue, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago at Grace, is that liars use lies always for violence. All right. The devil, we're told in John 8, is a liar from the beginning. He's a thief and a murderer. Now, why, why is it the case that Jesus, um, uh, more than stealing, more than being a thief, describes Satan in terms of being a liar and a murderer? All right. What's the connection between those two? It's because lies are always in the service of violence. Keep that in mind, people of God, men. Lies are always in the service of violence. Lies are always in the service of defilement, of corruption, of death. All right? There is no innocuous lie. Even the lies you tell yourself, right, to get away with stuff will bring you closer to death and destruction. And especially you see it in our day with the lies that our society has told repeatedly. The lies that we hear repeatedly in the public square are lies that are in service of violence. It's a woman's right to choose, all right? That is a lie, and at the end of that lie, you don't have life. At the end of that life, at the end of that lie, what you have is a tortured, warped human body of a baby who has been murdered, all right? and thrown in the, bat, in, the, in, the, in the garbage bin. Lies are always in the service of violence. Now we're being told about transgenderism. We're being told about sexuality. We're being told that we are now supposed to co-sign the lies that very confused men have told themselves, that they are women, that they can change their gender, that this and that, that, all right? These are lies that are dragging these men confused as they are and predatorial as they are to violence and not only violence upon themselves, but to we're giving them permission to enact violence upon innocent children. All right. Which is worse. This whole groomer phenomenon, right? Just not if you know what I'm talking about, right? You've heard about the grooming, the groomers, people in, in, um, all these men would, who are, you know, what's that called? Um, Drag. They used to be called transvestites, right? Transvestites, which means they, they were cross-dressers, right? And, you know, we're being told, oh, yeah, this is nothing. This is okay. And it's like, no, it's not okay. But you don't, you don't realize that the lie is in service of violence, all right? We're being told Ukraine. We're being, you know, you know who, who knows how many 
thousands of people are going to be killed uh, before that thing is done, and so on and so forth, all right? We, we're just coming out of COVID, right, with all the stuff that happened uh, where people couldn't see each other. I, we, we know um, a family where, um, yeah, people died because uh, a certain person died because they got a bed sore and an infection from that and the nurses refused to change them and refused to go into their room because of COVID, all right? That person died, all right? Um, so lies are not ever innocuous and harmless is what I'm trying to say. Lies are always in the service of violence. And that's the problem here. That's the problem here. The problem is that these lies are onto war. He says, I'm for peace. But when I speak, uh, they are not for peace. They're for war, right? So that's, that's Psalm 120. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit more, all right? God calls us to be for peace amidst a war. And the question I want you to consider is, what does it mean to be for peace when you're in war, when you're at war? What does it mean to be for peace when you're at war? It doesn't mean, and really believe me, uh, interrupt me. It's no interruption. If you, if you want to jump in, just I kind of drill down. People, people who've seen me lecture, uh, teach here, no, I, I, the eye contact stuff isn't really going to happen. I'm just going to look at this pizza. So just interrupt me and, and uh, you know, speak your piece and, and share here, okay? Um, what it doesn't mean is pacifism. I think we, under, we, we misunderstand what scripture talks about, right, um, when, when it talks about peace, right? And especially in our day, um, we, we think that, you know, pacifism, who, who can define pacifism for us? I, I don't want to use that word without definition. Go ahead. The use of any force, any physical force is more morally unjustifiable right for nations or individuals for nations for individuals for a community um i think prem might be here i'm getting a call from him um so right so if just to flesh this out a little bit more make it more personal here um if someone is attacking your brother what do you do well pacifism says you do nothing that's what a Christian's supposed to do. If someone's attacking your wife, what do you do? Well, nothing. You can't fight back. You can't hit back. You can't, right? Because that's that's what scripture says. If someone, right? So think about the person you love, the ones you love, right? If something were to happen to them, what would you do? Well, pacifism, which I would submit to you is a heresy. Not a heresy of doctrine, but a heresy of practice. Pacifism says you cannot do and you cannot use any force to restrain to fight back to defend your loved one right you just have to take it on the chin turn the other cheek right misquoting uh matthew 5 35 and following you can't you can't do anything right and notice notice what the psalmist does here right did is he there i didn't no. see anybody okay. left the door open just in case okay um does, does anyone have Prem's number? Do you mind just give him a, giving him a call? Yeah. Um, driving or is he Uber? He was going to be with Jay Uber, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> this is a psalm that has an imprecation. 
All right. What? No, okay, that's fine. An imprecation is a curse. This is a psalm that calls forth God's curses, just like many in many passages in the New Testament, right? Why is that? All right, we need to understand what a, a holy curse is, a holy imprecation is, okay? Because if we're, if we're not straight with this, we're going to miss something very important about the Christian uh, faith, all right? We are called to bless our enemies, but we're also called to take up the cause of God in this world. Notice why he says, what shall be given, verse 3, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? What, what, what shall be given to you is punishment, is divine wrath, a warrior's sharp arrows. You will not get away with the lies, the destructive lies that have um, been... Um, uh, that have been perpetrated in this world, all right? They're outside. They're outside, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> um, so what we need to understand is that it's not personal. Has, any, has anyone seen Godfather here? Uh, one, all right? There's a scene there where um, one of the characters, Michael Corleone, says, it's not, Sonny, it's not, it's not personal. It's strictly business, okay? And that's the way to understand this. This isn't, the psalmist got cut off in traffic and he's cursing the guy right next to him. It's not that, you know, uh, someone got in line you know, in front of him and he wasn't supposed to do that. Or, you know, that um, someone called him a name, right, and, or cast some insult on him. It's that God's cause is being threatened, which means that God's people are being threatened, which means that God's truth is jeopardized in his generation, all right? It's God's holiness. It's God's covenant promise that's at stake here. So in many regards, beloved um, brothers, imprecations have nothing to do with you and with me. This is about God. All right. This is about God. This isn't about my safety and, you know, what have you. This is about children being groomed onto perversion. Right. This is about innocent children being killed and murdered. All right. So it's important for us to understand why is it? Hey, Jay, welcome. Come on in. <laughs> You're animated. You say something important right now. I am. <laughs> it's a very animated passage. Um, so it's not the case that um, the psalmist here is saying, well, I wish that these liars would be destroyed. You know, because they gave me cold pizza and I wanted, I paid for warm pizza. You know, it's not a personal slight here is what I'm saying. All right. You understand what I'm, not if you, oh, give me a, a thumbs up, give me a sign of life here. How are you, brother? Good, good, good. Um, have a seat. We're keeping it casual here. If you want a slice or something, uh, just grab it. All right. This isn't about the psalmist. This isn't a personal slight. All right. This is about God. This is why if you look at the historic prayers of the church, which are found in the Psalter hymnal at the very end, this is why when you look at the Heidelberg Catechism in the question, um, what does it mean that we're praying that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that thy kingdom come, that thy name be hallowed? We're asking for God to establish righteousness in this world and to defeat 
Satan, defeat every enemy, defeat every foe that raises itself against the obedience of Christ, right? You're asking for the triumph of God in this world, for the triumph of Christ in this world. Um, so this isn't about you and me. This isn't about us. This isn't about, um, you know, what, what you and I may feel like doing. You know, you and I might not feel like doing anything any given day. You and I, you and I might feel like capitulating any given day. What you're not allowed, you, I mean, you can feel whatever you want. What you're not allowed to do is to say, I can't fight for God's truth. That's what you're not allowed to say, all right, according to this psalm, according to God's word. You're asking God, at the very least, you're asking God to arise. You're not going to take personal vengeance. You, you are prohibited from saying, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill some of these perverts, okay? That's sinful. That's an abomination. You, you are not allowed to do that. What you are commanded to do is to pray, God, what I can't do, you do. Save these people. May they, may they repent of their sins. Bring them to a point of utter humility that they would recognize what they've done to themselves, to their bodies, to society, to one another. And Lord, may they not triumph. And Lord, if you have to cut them off, may you be pleased to do your holy will. Because it means that there will be less unrighteousness in this world. All right. And let me tell you, brothers, if you read the book of Revelation, you understand this very well. You understand that unless God arises and does something about evil, evil wins. That's just the way it is. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about that. Unless God actually defeats and crushes sin, Satan wins. If you read the book of Revelation, you understand that God's people are oftentimes at the very brink of destruction and that it is at the very end when all seems lost, when you know the night is at its darkest, that Jesus Christ appears on a white horse as the conquering King of Kings and Lord of Lords and completely eviscerates all of his enemies with a sword proceeding from his mouth, right? You understand that. And you, you can't have any neutrality about that. You, you, you have to see that this is a fight, not fought with spiritual weapons, but fought with the weapons that have been given to us by God himself, the armor of the spirit, Ephesians 6, with the weapons of prayer, with the weapons of God's word, and that we have on our side the majority. Because he who stands with God is in the majority, and he who stands with Jesus Christ is on the right side of history, no matter what Republican or Democrat politician says otherwise, right? This is it. This is what's going to steal your nerves. This is what is going to allow you to sleep at night, what's going to allow you to wake up in the morning, knowing that Jesus is king, knowing that Jesus preserves his people, knowing that Jesus will conquer, meaning he will destroy, meaning he will kill all of his enemies who do not repent. God bless you. <clears throat> so, um, you have to consider the context of this psalm. All right. Again, let's let's deep dig in a little bit more here. Um, there is a war that's raging. We're going to get to what it means to be for peace here in a minute. But there is a war that's raging, and it's a war that we did not initiate. Right. <clears throat> 
don't know if you ever had these conversations with people where you're just being a Christian. You're just talking about whatever it is. And that's just the way you are. You're just talking about what you did. On, hey, what'd you do on the week? Well, I went to church with my family. Um, or, you know, what'd you do on Saturday? Well, I went to a wedding and my, my best friend got married and his wife, it's just, it was such a beautiful thing to see. But even, even the mention of something heterosexual is so triggering to people nowadays. Oh, you went to one of those weddings, right? Um, because the only weddings that you're allowed to boast about, the only weddings you're allowed to, to be kind of happy about are the sodomite unions that are not really weddings at all between two women or two men or a horse and a man or who knows what other kind of marital arrangements are happening in our day. But you're not really allowed to talk about normalcy, right? So there is a war. And this war has, has been raging since Genesis 3, right? When man decided to declare open warfare on God, on his word, on his promise, on his goodness, on God himself. And increasingly, I said this on Sunday, man is at war with reality. All right. And I'll just give you a little preview of how this whole thing's going to end. Who do you think wins? What do you think wins? You think man can win against reality? It's an impossibility. It's a categorical impossibility. All right. Um, man doesn't win this war against reality. It's like saying, I'm going to fly and I'm going to jump off cadmium. If you ever saw someone like that, what would you say? If you ever saw some kid saying, I'm going to fly, I'm going to go to the fifth floor and jump out the window. Well, what would you say about that kid? They'll do it. But you think that's right? You think there's something? I said, don't do it. Oh, don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't do it. Exactly. There's something a little wrong with, with a boy or a girl who does that, right? Or, yeah, I'm going to walk. I'm, I'm invisible, guys. I'm going to walk through this wall, right? Uh, Omar says, you know, he's a chicken. He's going to lay an egg, right? And, but this, this is all fantastical. This is fantastical. I'm a man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut my members off. And voila, I'm a woman. What? What? Right? And, and that's probably the most graphic thing that we could say. But you just work from that extremity and work backwards to the things, the little lies that we accept, right? The little fantasies that we accept. Um, we, you know, we, I realize this is being recorded, so got to be careful. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husband and I'm going to leave my wife. I'm a wife and I'm going to leave my husband, right? How many times have we not heard that? For what? For what purpose again? I'm just not in love anymore, right? I'm just, uh, I, I fell in love, I fell out of love, right? There are all sorts of fantasies that we entertain, you know, no-fault divorce and, and so on and so forth, and, and lies that we entertain about the government, about science, about COVID, about whatever, all right? And we're, we're swimming in an ocean of lies, and these lies didn't begin with the church, right? This war against reality didn't begin with the church. It began in the garden with man against his creator, okay? And so there's a war that's raging. And it's important to realize um, that God defines the, the, this war, all right? God defines the terms of this war. God defines who is who in this war. When Elijah 
uh, in 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 18, uh, by the power of God declared to Israel, the northern kingdom, that there would not be rain upon the land for three and a half years. The king of Israel at the time was Ahab. Um, Ahab has a chance encounter with Elijah, the prophet of God, the man of God, three and a half years later, and all of Israel's dead. It's dying. The, the horses have no grass to eat because the grass have, has no water to drink of from the heavens above. And life is ebbing away in Israel. And Ahab sees the prophet from afar and he says, Hey, you, you troublemaker of Israel, who do you think you are? You're the one who's caused all this problem in Israel. And Elijah says, Hold on, hold on a second. Don't you dare. I'm not the troubler of Israel. You and your father's household are the troublers of Israel. You see what Elijah has done there is he has defined reality according to God's word. Right? And the world says, you church, you are troublers in this country. You are the most unpatriotic people because what we want to establish in America is a gay circus where Satan is king and the Lord of this land and you won't let us because you believe in that ancient, bigoted, racist, homophobic, sex, sexist book called the Bible. And we say, hold on, hold on. We are not the troublers of this land you are the troublemakers of this land. We are not for war. We are for peace. You are for war. All right? And it's so important to be able to see the, the lies, right? Because oftentimes they come as definitions. Well, marriage. Well, this is what marriage is. Marriage is two adults who love each other and consent to be married, right? That's what love is. And scripture says, wrong. Marriage is one man one woman for life with children. That's what a marriage is. And we are not allowed to redefine what God has said is true. The world is doing it. And when the world does it, what we have to do, and I'm not suggesting you do this every single time with your mouth, articulate this, but you have to do it every single time with your mind and in your heart and in your life. Reject the lies and say in your mind, no, that's not true. Now, what that means is you're going to walk around <laughs> and you're going to drive around North Jersey saying, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. You know, all the time you see billboards coming at you and I say, that's not true. That's not true. That's a lie. That's a fantasy that goes against the obedience of Christ. But that's what Christians do. That's what we're called to do. There's no other way. There's no accepting of any lie, giving any lie quarter, a little bit of room, all right? So you have to be like Elijah, the prophet, and say, I'm not a troubler of Israel. Verse 7, I am for peace. I am for peace, which we'll get to in a minute. But when I speak, they are the ones who are for war. I'm for true obedience and true worship and the return of this world to God, its maker, but when they speak, they are for war. So who's the troublemaker? Elijah or Ahab? Let me ask it in a different way. Who's the troublemaker? The pervert who's a groomer who wants to defile innocent children or the man 
the Christian woman, the Christian man who goes into these public libraries and says, stop! What you're doing is wrong! Which is the troublemaker? The abortionist who kills babies or the Christian who stands on the street corner with photos of the gruesome murder of babies that is the result of abortion to show drivers and passerbyers the result of abortion. Which is the troublemaker? I'm asking. <laughs> the abortion clinics, the storytelling people. Yeah. Those are the troublemakers. Those are the ones disturbing the people. Yeah. But our world would like you to think. Um, no, no, no. It's the people whose tone, tone police. You ever get that? <laughs> you know, I, I just, I know you're a Christian, but you're not really supposed to talk that way. But well, which is worse, the murder or my little salty language here, right? Which is worse? Let's think about this. Which is worse, the homosexual sin and, and all the sins related to the action of sodomy or me saying that God will judge the living and the dead and unless they repent, their destiny is hell and eternal punishment and punishment that begins not just when they die, but it begins now, Right? And here's, here's coming back to pacifism. So we can think about this as Christians coherently and clearly and consistently with Scripture. Which is worse? <clears throat> the man who wants to murder your family with a gun or you seeing that there's a violent assault upon your family seek to defend yourself with a gun. Both are using a gun, right? But what we oftentimes leave out because of the way news is reported is how are you going to defend yourself, right? And we only see the innocent man throwing a punch, right? When you see these viral viral videos, you only see the last end of it, right? Where the man is defending his wife or his children with a violent assault upon the violent man, right? And, and what's left out is the first part, the escalation, the, 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 the violent assault uh, upon the, the innocent family, right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying here? Give, give, me, give me some feedback here. Give, ask a question or, or give me a comment, all right? Right, so the question is not, is there violence? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. The question is not, is there violence, but it's violence in the service of what? All right. The Bible says it uh, very clearly. Um, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of God becomes violent and only the violent assaulted. Yeah. Okay. Again, we have to understand what's being said here. It's not that we become, you know, let, let me just finish this point. It's not that we become these angry monsters, Right who are always, you know, we're ready, you know, itching trigger finger. Okay, who, who, who's, who wants it? Who wants it, right? No, we need to have strength under control, right? Which was the message a few weeks ago. Husbands, um, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
uh, as the weaker, honoring them as the weaker vessel that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, so the, the issue, though, is not violence or force, coercive physical force. The issue is what's it being used for, right? The issue is never a knife, right? A knife could be used to stab an innocent victim or a knife could be used to cut a steak or a different kind of knife during surgery to cut open the patient's hand to cut in order to heal, right? And we prayed for Brother Jay here in his hand, all right? And that's exactly what they did with his hand. So, so you don't have to, you have to look at, yeah, sure, the instrumentation. In this case, it's violence, coercive force. You have to look at who's using it and for what purpose. So, and something that I've said before is that Christianity is not revolutionary. It's actually anti-revolutionary. It's the world. It's Satan who's a revolutionary. And if, if you understand the world that way, it begins to make sense, right, that Christians who seek to serve God are not the problem. Uh, we're, we're part of the, the revelation of God's wisdom, Ephesians 3.10, in this world. We are uh, ambassadors of a kingdom of life, of a kingdom of peace, of joy, of, of happiness, right? Um, it's this world that has assaulted God and seeks to assault God in his word and his creation, all right? All right, even though, man, let me say a few more points before we get to the end. What, is, what does it mean to be for peace when you're at war? Here's the irony, or maybe not so much of an irony, but uh, something we need to keep in mind, that even though man started this war, God ends this war. And it's not really man's war now. It's God's war. Okay, God defines the origin of the war. God defines the nature of the war. God defines the outcome of the war. God defines the parties to this war. Uh, God defines this war because it's God's war. Man may have started it, okay, but he also wanted to quietly end it, right? Man wants to sin against God and covenant with Satan in death, but what does man, what does God do? God in mercy uh, declares open warfare against Satan and against sin. And that really, you need to understand that this is our salvation. Unless God is at war, there is no salvation. Unless there's a war that God is enacting, there is no salvation. There is a doctrine called the antithesis. We've preached on it before. You can look on Sermon Audio for some of the, the audio on that. But the antithesis is given to us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If someone could, could look that up for us. Genesis three fifteen, and if someone could read that for us, okay? Man has fallen. God comes into the garden. And he's pronouncing judgment, all right? <clears throat> pronouncing judgment on the serpent, pronouncing judgment on the man, and pronouncing judgment on the woman. So here is his pronouncement on, on the serpent. Unless God appears in a garden and says, I will put enmity. That word is so important. God is placing enmity. God is placing a war between the seed of the woman, humanity, and the seed of the serpent, Satan and his kingdom. God is placing a war between Jesus and Satan. He's placing a war between the people of the woman, the church, and the people of Satan, the world. And unless God appears in the garden and says these words, guess what happens to mankind? Mankind quietly slips away to death all right 
And so it's important to realize this dynamic, all right, that we're in a war, we're for peace. When we speak, we are for peace, but they are for war. But in many ways, the irony is that we too are also for war because we are not for an easy, cheap peace where sin wins. All right? People are for peace in our day, but therefore the kind of peace where sin is exalted, where sin is promoted, where God is shut out of this world, right? Surrender. People want that kind of peace, right? Surrender. Surrender. Right. Just, put your, just put your weapons down. Which is not peace. Don't you want right. peace? Put your weapons down. And we're saying, no, 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 no. That's not how peace works. Peace means you put your weapons down, not because we're personally offended, because your weapons, however, are being used against God, and you don't win when you fight God. So put them down. You're fighting the king of kings, the almighty God himself, right? And so unless God comes in mercy because it's merciful that he puts this hostility in the world, unless he comes in mercy and takes a big, big fat marker and draws, he's redrawing the line of the antithesis, the line of opposition, the, the line of demarcation that separates the seed of the woman from the seed of the serpent. Unless God does that, there is no salvation. There is no salvation. So what I want to tell you, again, another point, is that as men, you may not seek surrender as a way out. As a way out. I used to teach and I taught one year in, in the Bronx. And, you know, I would say someone's coming out of this classroom in a body bag. They or me, if we ever have to throw hands... You know, like with these kids, I mean, these six foot five kids and threatening and throwing chairs. It's like, I don't want to get to that point, but there's no neutrality here, you know. And in many ways, that's what it is. Again, it's not it's not a physical warfare with punching and knives and guns and all this stuff, right? It's spiritual. It has physical implications, no doubt. But this is a spiritual warfare. You're talking about a school? A school, yeah, sorry. I taught. I taught in a school in, in the Bronx, yeah. Uh, but this hostility cannot be, er- it cannot be erased. The antithesis cannot be blurred. You can't downplay it. All right? Uh, it, you have to be about the antithesis, about the war that's raging, because that is the survival of the church and the triumph of Christ in this world. So part of what God calls you as men to do is to maintain the hostility between truth and lies, righteousness and wickedness, Jesus and Satan, the word of God and the anti-word of man, the word of life and every other word which leads to death, all right? And this is for the sake of your own salvation. This is for the sake of the church's well-being and this is for the sake of the future generations yet unborn and for the sake of the covenant of God, all right? That you must maintain hostility. All right, so what what is this peace? It's simple. This peace is what the Hebrew word shalom encapsulates. Maybe you've heard that word. It's a word that's been used and abused. It simply means completeness. Shalom means reconciliation, wholeness, and healing. Peace here means that we seek man's return to his creator, man being reconciled 
to Jesus Christ. Peace here means that we're turning away from sin and all its chaos into the dominion of Jesus Christ. All right. And that means that we're about the divine design of God in this world. So no matter what we're talking about, men, we're talking about peace. We're talking about reconciliation. So when we open our mouths and we, we, we say something about sexuality, we're following God's prescriptions. We're, we're following God's divine design on sexuality. When we talk about government, we, we can't help but talk about what God says about government. When we, when we talk about marriage, when we talk about masculinity, when we talk about technology, when we talk about eating, whatever it is, science, COVID, the latest press conference, we're always doing so from the perspective of God. Why? Because nothing else is true peace. Nothing else is true peace. So we are for peace. We are for reconciliation. We are for the return of man back to God. And guess what happens when you do that? What we've said already. Right? When you say, um, you know, I mean, you can be asked any number of questions. I mean, the, the most innocuous type of question is asked. Uh, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think about... Uh, what do, you, what do you think about this war in Ukraine? Or what do, what do you think about whatever? I mean, I lost for illustrations here. What? Yeah, poverty in the war. Right, poverty. In, and so you bring to bear the book of Proverbs. You bring to bear the, 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 the word of God from the gospel accounts, from the epistles, right? Oh, so you're not for socialism? I thought socialism was good. Doesn't socialism solve poverty? And, it's beautiful, yeah. it's, People think, oh, we're going to get martyred. We're going to get put. I don't think we're going to get put in concentration camps. I think the concentration camps have been internalized. We are prisoners already. We are, in our minds, we've already surrendered. So, you know, they give us distractions and iPhones and Netflix and here, watch this show. And here's <laughs> Biden's press conference and look at this thing and look at this squirrel over here. And we're done. We, we are as passive as can be. We have, in many ways, surrendered. And I say that we as a, as a, as a church in America and as a society in America, right? But you need, you need to have a sober mind and understand what's going on here, right? And I'm going to just wrap up because I'm at the 54-minute mark here, all right? And I could talk uh, a lot more, but I won't. Um, but I really do want to hear uh, your comments and, and have a little bit more discussion here. But there are two takeaways, two big takeaways, all right? <clears throat> um, if you're in a war and you are called to be for peace meaning that you are calling all of creation around you to live under the dominion and blessed authority of the one true king, Jesus Christ, then it means that as men, we cannot be at war with Christ ourselves. All right? It means that we need to know the Prince of Peace ourselves. All right? And this is, this is a, a, an issue we have to come back to again and again. All right? We ourselves cannot be at war. We ourselves cannot be given to whatever lies are in our hearts that we might be tempted to believe in, whether, whether it's a little lie or a big lie. And we all have them. I have them. As a pastor, as a man, as a husband, as a father. We, I lie to myself all the time. All right, And you lie to yourself all the, all the time. But you must take yourself and say, no, that's the way of death. Lies are onto violence and that will kill me, right? If I give it a little bit of room, right? It's going to want a little bit more room. And you give it a toehold and it's going to have a foothold in your life and it's going to become a stronghold and then it's going to be a chokehold in your life. 
whatever sin it is. You cannot be at war with Jesus Christ, brothers, all right? You're going to agitate your soul. You're going to have a defiled conscience. Um, and you're going to be out of sorts. And you know what? Part of the strategy of Satan so often is to neutralize us with our own lies so that we never actually get out into the world to fight as men. And we're always kind of thinking about ourselves and am I forgiven? And oh man, I really broke God's law that time and this other thing I did. Beloved brothers, your sins are taken upon the cross of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are washed, and now you must live like it, all right? Mm. And you must get on in the Christian life mm. to live for Christ because this is one of the ways Satan takes us out of the fight, right? We can't ever look at the world because we're so wrapped up in our own lives because we're breaking God's law and we have no peace and we have no uh, clean conscience before God. And your courage will, to that degree, be affected, all right? If you are not taking your sins to the cross, your courage and your fight, the dog in you, will be, to that degree, affected, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, you will lose yourself and you will lose this fight and you will lose your soul. But, but this is not the gospel. The gospel is that you lose yourself and find Christ, Right? You, you lose your own selfish desire and you find Christ by, by taking your sins to the cross. All right? do, do you understand what I'm saying here, guys? Brothers? Yeah? All right. All right. The second thing is that, uh, as I mentioned before, you have to live with this reality of war. You're in a war, but you're for peace. But you're in a war, but you're for peace. All right? And you can't choose. You can't, it's not your war. You might not be interested in war. You might not be interested in fighting in the, in the year 2023. You'd rather put your head under the, under, in the sand and you know, under your blanket. And you might want to have a cheap comfort. Uh, you are dishonoring God, all right, by not fighting for his truth, by mentally surrendering. You are in a war. And you might not be interested in the war, but the war is interested in you. And in your loved ones, you are in a war. So <clears throat> you cannot blur the antithesis. You cannot say, well, that's okay. No, God said that's not okay. That's a sin that dishonors him. And that's destructive of the human soul. It's wrong, right? You can't erase the antithesis. You can't downplay it. You're in a war. And you can't strive for a cheap easy plastic peace because that's called surrender and that dishonors god and it will jeopardize and threaten your very soul how many times i don't know if you, you're seeing this with me here in this world but how many times have i seen in recent days and maybe you have as well churches that seem strong organizations that seem strong um Institu Christian institutions that seem strong, right? Slip, drift, bit by bit, bit by bit. How did they get there? How did, how did they get there? How did they get woke? How did they start endorsing sin, right? And think that the worst, the worst sin in the world is to be mad at sin, right? Tone police, to be mad at sin. That's the worst sin you can possibly ever commit to, to make a judgment. We got there because... Little by little, in our minds and in our hearts, we made peace with sin. 
and we didn't fight. And we erased it, we downplayed it, we tried to blur the line of demarcation of the antithesis because it's hard. It's hard. You got to wake up every morning. You got to fight your sin. And you go to work and you, you meet the guy who believes any number of lies and it's easy. And you say, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe he's right about these things. You know, maybe I'm, I'm thinking too much about stuff. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, the government is always right. You know, maybe I need to start following whatever they say. And you will slowly but surely surrender yourself to sin. All right. Um, we are not pacifists. Pacifism is a sin. It's a sin of cowardice. It's a heresy. And you are not called to be a pacifist. You are called to be someone who strives for true peace, a peacemaker, because you are striving for the entire world to be subject to the dominion and the governance of Jesus Christ. Right? So I'll leave it there. Any questions? Any comments? Any pushback? Father, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, help us. We are weak and needy and frail. And Father, that's part of our confession that if we could have done it, maybe we would have already, but we haven't. Lord, we depend upon you. Father, we don't want to use piety as an excuse for inaction. We don't want to sit on our hands uh, waiting for you to act when you've told us what to do. Uh, Father, we pray that you would grant us our daily bread, but you then tell us to go out and work. Uh, We know, Father, that you are the builder of your church and of your kingdom, and yet you call us to be laborers, co-laborers with Christ, uh, tending to the vineyard, tending to the building of Zion, and seeking to build up your kingdom. Father, we know ultimately that you are the one who gives the growth. We know that ultimately it is Jesus who wins. And we, because we're united to Jesus, we win as well. And we triumph over our sin in his death and resurrection. And we experience the triumph of Christ over all principalities and authorities and powers. But, Father, we confess that it is he who wins. So, Father, help us. Remind us continually uh, of the triumph and victory of Christ that has begun And Father, nourish us in that victory and help us, Lord, to feed constantly on his word that is our hope and our life. And may we go from this time strengthened and energized, Father, to do your holy will, to seek to build the kingdom of Christ and his government in our lives. Father, as we put to death our sins and as we live, Father, at the cross and at the empty tomb, and to seek the government of Christ in our families, and also at the church, in Grace Reformed Church, that, Father, you would instill in us and build from us, Father, a spirit of guardianship, that we would take up, Father, the cross, that we would take up the tasks as men as you've called us to, that we would seek to be protectors of widows and orphans and guardians of your truth and guardians of the heritage that you have given to us. And, Father, not only maintain but build on what has been bequeathed to us father from previous generations lord we we stand on the shoulders of the giants who have gone before us and father as as uh, small in stature as we are as weak and frail men even as your 12 disciples father lord you have commissioned us you have commissioned your church father to disciple the nations and we go forth in the power and in the promise of jesus christ 
who is the heir of all things and the heir of all the nations. And we confess his name. And Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to prosper our efforts. Fathers, we've talked about a number of plans, a number of initiatives, a number of lines of action. Lord, we pray that you would prosper our efforts because we seek not our glory. Uh, Forbid it not, Father, that we would ever seek our glory. But we seek the glory of Christ. We seek the advancement of his righteous kingdom. We seek the establishment, Father, of what is true justice in this world. We are heartbroken, Father, at how despicable man's sin is and how disruptive it is in this world. And Father, we yearn for Christ's kingdom and we yearn for you, Father. And we long to see you face to face. But until that day, Lord, you have called us to work. You have called us to labor. You have called us to fight the good fight of faith. You have called us to die with Christ and to be raised with him. And Father, to do all of that, knowing that it is you who give the growth. It is you who give us fruitfulness. So Father, do grant us fruitfulness. Grant us favor. Grant us your power. Grant us hope. Grant us joy. Father, in the midst of sorrow, that, Father, as we walk through this very fallen world full of death and destruction, Lord, we would be a people of life, a people of joy, a people of children, a people, Father, who confess and sing your holy praises. And, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us, Lord. Bless and keep your people. Bless, Father, all those who are members of Grace Reformed Church, those who are on their way to membership, those who are regularly visiting father continue to bring many fill your church with the grace and the glory of christ and with many father people who hunger and yearn for righteousness and father hear us father forgive us our sins as men uh they are many and they are they are great and dishonoring to you lord and father we pray continue your work in us and we are so thankful for your mercies father continue to bless us bless the rest of our time here and thank you for Paul and his hospitality. Bless Jenny and their dear family. Bless Elijah and his dear family as well. Bless all of our families. And Father, um, see us safely to our homes and return us to Zion on the Lord's Day to worship your holy name with your people. And Father, we commit all of this to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers.